December 7th, 1941, started as a nice, quiet, peaceful Sunday morning. But at 7.55, Pearl Harbor was attacked by 200 Japanese aircraft. People often say that the attack on Pearl Harbor came without warning, but that's really not the case. In the months leading up to the attack, Pearl Harbor commanders were warned three times to get ready for war because the negotiations with the Japanese had fallen through, but little was done to prepare. On the morning of the attack, a decoded Japanese message indicated that war was at hand, but the message was ignored. Four hours before the attack, a Japanese submarine was sighted, but no report was made. On the morning of the attack, radar operators saw a large blip on radar, which they considered a squadron of aircraft approaching Pearl Harbor. But their report was not heeded. And as a result of ignoring those warnings, 2,300 Americans were killed, 1,300 injured, and 1,000 were missing. Ignoring the warnings led to disaster. Now this morning we're beginning a new message series called Spiritual Warfare. And the Bible warns us repeatedly to prepare for spiritual warfare. If you're a believer, you're in a battle, whether you know it or not. But ignoring the warnings that the Bible gives us about spiritual warfare, just as they ignored warnings at Pearl Harbor, are going to lead, as a result, to Satan attacking, killing, injuring leading astray friends, relatives, and neighbors. And so we need to heed the warnings in God's Word about spiritual warfare. In this series, we're going to look at questions such as, who is our real enemy? What is their plan of attack? How can we defend ourselves and be victorious? The first verse we want to look at this morning, and I'd encourage you to take out the white page in the middle of your bulletin. It has an outline there with the verses written out. And on the back is some study questions that you can use in your own Bible study time. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Oftentimes we think our enemy is other people. As people that uh, perhaps are not following God's way. We think people are our enemy, that flesh and blood is our enemy. But this verse tells us that our real enemy is Satan and his demonic forces. It's unseen, evil, spiritual forces that are operating in this world. Now today, many people don't believe that Satan even exists. That's pretty clever of him, isn't it? If the enemy gets us to believe he doesn't exist, uh, he's going to be able to attack at will. Satan attacks unbelievers, and he seeks to prevent them from being saved. He uses unbelievers to attack believers in many different ways. And when unbelievers are no longer useful to him, he seeks to kill them and bring them down to hell with himself. Satan also attacks believers. He seeks to render believers ineffective in reaching the lost. He tempts believers into falling into sin. He seeks to lead them astray from their faith. He has a lot of goals in this spiritual warfare that he wages against the church 
and against believers. Let's watch a short video clip called Satan's Ultimate Goals. So if you're a believer here this morning, you do have an enemy, and he's out to get you. Uh, but God is stronger, and we're going to learn this morning how to defend ourselves. Now today our message is entitled, Detecting the Deceiver. Deceiver is Satan and his forces. Just as in Pearl Harbor, the most dangerous attacks come from attacks that are not detected. If we don't realize that he's out there to get us in a certain way, we're going to be easy prey. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, In order that Satan may not, might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. And so as believers, we need to be aware of the schemes of the enemy so that he won't outwit us, so that he won't cause us to fall into his trap. And so our society today is largely unaware of Satan's schemes. Our culture today is rapidly sliding away from God, sliding away from the truth of God's word into moral decadence. And believers and churches are susceptible to this, this slide of culture. Things that we thought were wrong yesterday now don't seem so bad because culture is sliding even further away from God. One step at a time. So what can we do about it? Well, we need to be how can we be strong in spiritual warfare? How can we win the battle? 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so the battle is won or lost in our minds. And so this series, we're going to be talking about how to demolish ungodly arguments. And I guarantee you, you're hearing in the news around you an ungodly argument each and every day that you need to not allow to come into your heart, to come into your mind, to come into your life. We need to learn how to demolish these ungodly arguments with the truth of God's Word. We want to learn how to make our thoughts obedient to Christ and His Word and not go along with the direction that our culture is going. So we're going to get started today in a passage taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And in this passage, Paul is warning believers in the church at Corinth against false teachers. False teachers that the enemy is using to draw believers away from God. And so we need to be on guard against deception. Paul begins this passage in verse 2 by writing, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. And so Paul begins this section. This is a letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth, to the believers there. He begins this section of the letter by speaking of God's plan for the believers at the church at Corinth. He refers to the church as a pure bride. Mentioned many times in Scripture, the church is the bride of Christ. And so Christ is a husband, and the bride is promised to the husband. And the bride needs to keep herself pure for her husband. God doesn't want believers to be lured away. He doesn't want the church to be lured away after anyone or anything other than having Jesus Christ first 
and foremost in their lives. We mustn't allow ourselves to be led astray by Satan. Verse 3, Paul writes, I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds might somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What's Paul talking about here? Well, if you remember back in the Garden of Eden, God created Adam and Eve. Not Adam and Adam. Or Eve and Eve. Adam and Eve. He created Adam and Eve in the garden in a beautiful paradise. And everything was wonderful. He created all kinds of trees for them to eat from. But there was one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, don't eat from that tree. Because that wouldn't be good for you. All the other trees you may eat from, but not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that garden, there was an intruder. There was an alien force. His name was Satan. He came disguised as a serpent. And he whispered in Eve's ear. He told her God really didn't know what he was talking about. What he prohibited, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's really good for you. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Eat from it. You don't need to listen to God. You're not going to die if you eat from that tree. God doesn't know what he's talking about. And so Eve reached out, believed the serpent, and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, then sin. By that act came into the world. A curse came upon people. The land, the planet itself, it was not until Jesus Christ came that the curse was finally able to be broken in the lives of those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But in the same way, Satan was seeking to deceive the believers at the church of Corinth. Satan seeks to, to deceive believers today, to lead them astray from their pure devotion to Jesus Christ. Satan seeks to introduce idols into the lives of believers, things to which they give their worship other than Jesus. He seeks to lure us to dabbling into sin, saying it's good, saying it's not going to hurt us, saying that God doesn't really know what he's talking about. How are we led astray? Well, we're, we mustn't listen to those that are teaching a different Jesus. Verse 4, Paul continues, If someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. In other words, Paul is, is concerned. He's afraid that these believers would be deceived because they accept everybody who comes. They accept every new idea. Anybody who preaches and teaches, they say, Oh, that's great too. They put up with those who teach a different Jesus than Paul preached. They accept those who propose receiving a different spirit than the Holy Spirit that they had received. They accept different gospels than the one that had saved them. The Corinthian church was so tolerant. They accepted everything. They didn't want to judge anyone. They didn't want to say anybody was wrong. Everybody was right. And Paul says that's not the case. They can't all be right. 
And yet this tolerance was putting them in extreme danger as they were being led astray from their pure devotion to Jesus Christ. Rather than listening to those teaching a different Jesus, we must listen to those with true biblical knowledge. Verse 5, Paul writes, But I do not think, but yeah, I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. And so in Paul's day, at this church of Corinth, there were those who referred to themselves as super apostles. I don't know if they had a big S, you know, on their shirt or what, but they were super apostles. They were trained speakers. They were masters at entertaining their audiences. They were funny and they had the very best jokes. They were entertaining. They told the most interesting stories. They were very cool and keeping up with every fad in culture. They drew large crowds because they taught new things, things that people had never heard before, things about a different Jesus, things about a different gospel. And Paul had none of those things that the super apostles had, but he had something they didn't. He had knowledge. Paul had a knowledge of God that was rooted in the absolute standard of God's word. And that is the kind of person, that's the kind of teaching he's saying that people needed to listen to. And that's the kind of person and the teaching that we need to listen to. Paul may not have drawn the largest crowds, but those who listened stayed devoted to Christ. And they were not led astray. And so we must be on guard against deception in our day and time. Today we have access to more teaching and preaching than at any time in the history of the world. And I no longer think that's such a good thing. In the sense of a believer being able to listen to and watch dozens of different preachers and teachers in the course of a week. First of all, God placed pastors and teachers in a local church so that God's people might be prepared for works of service, so that they might put the teaching into practice in their own church. And God has placed each and every believer, not in some humongous church, but in a local church. And we have plenty to do putting the teaching that we receive in a local church into practice. Why well, listen? Teachers and preachers from all kinds of other churches, all kinds of other backgrounds, all kinds of other denominations. Secondly, the most popular teachers and preachers in America are not those with biblical knowledge. An evangelist I trust recently said, and I quote, The three most popular preachers in America today do not mention the cross, the blood of Jesus, or hell. This has never been true in the entire history of America until now. And so by eliminating unpopular themes from their preaching, they are in fact preaching another Jesus. They are in fact preaching another gospel. So there are three types of religious teachers or preachers today. First of all, they're false teachers. That they're not even believers, and they are out to lead people astray. They claim to be believers. They claim to be preachers of God's word. 
They may even think they are believers, but they are not. And they will surely lead people astray. There are confused Christian teachers. They are believers, but they don't really understand God's word. And they preach the popular things. And they leave out important things. And that's a different Jesus. That's a different gospel. That will lead you astray as well. And finally, there are godly teachers whose teaching is based on the word of God in its entirety. And so our standard in testing a teaching must be the Word of God. Not just part of it, but all of it, from Genesis through Revelation. And at Life Church, we strive to make all our teaching in the church based upon the entirety of the truth of God's Word. Now, not only must we be on guard against deception, we must listen to those with godly motives. And so we've been talking about how to judge teachers and preachers by the content of their message. Is it consistent with all of God's word? Now Jesus says we should look at something else as well. He says in Matthew chapter 7, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. And so the fruit of a teacher's life is what it produces. What it produces in their lives, what it produces in the lives of others who listen to them. The motives of a teacher will play out in the fruit that they bear. And so we must beware of those that live extravagant lifestyles. Verse 7, Paul goes on and says, Was it sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And so Paul was, in essence, a missionary to the church at Corinth. He received his financial support from other churches that he'd ministered to before so he could preach the gospel at Corinth freely as he was founding the church there. Now Paul wrote in other places that the pastors that stayed in the church in a local context should be supported by the churches that they pastored. But as an apostle, he ministered in many different churches. He might be at Ephesus, he might be at Corinth, he might be at another church. And he chose, on this particular occasion, to preach the gospel in Corinth while supported from other congregations that he ministered to. The point here is that, contrary to the super-apostles, Paul was not in the ministry to amass a financial fortune. He was not in the ministry to become a multimillionaire. He was not in the ministry to have his own private jet. He had needs. God provided for those needs through the support of the churches he ministered at. And so we must be aware, Paul is warning these people of those who preach and live extravagant lifestyles. Even though they may say some good things, the fruit of their ministries will not be good. We are to listen to those who know and love us. Verse 11. Jumping around a little bit here uh, for time. He says, why? Because I do not love you? God knows that I do. So Paul was being accused of not loving the Corinthians because he didn't accept offerings from them. And he's saying, God knows that I love you. 
Paul is assuring the believers at Corinth that he personally knows them. He's ministered to them. He's talked with them face to face. He's prayed with them. He knows them personally. He loves them with the love of God. And so Jesus Christ has set up his church so that we learn from and listen to those that we know. We learn from and listen to those that, we, that love us and that we see on a regular basis. Now, in order to discern godly character and the motives of a preacher or teacher, you must look at the fruit and the character of their lives. To do that, you've got to know them. You've got to know their lifestyles. Those who preach for money or prestige as their motives will, will demonstrate that in their words and lifestyles. There'll be error in the teaching of those who live extravagant and self-promoting lifestyles. Listen to those that you know personally to have godly motives. Jesus himself said in the Gospels, only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he's referring to the human uh, tendency to think that those we know personally don't have much to offer. And the ones that are on TV with the lights... The ones who are on the radio, the ones who are on the internet, those are the ones that really have it all together. Because a lot of people are listening to them, they must be right. And yet, we really can't know the lifestyle, the motives of the people that we see on television or the ones that we listen to on the radio. Just this past week, it's almost a weekly occurrence, a megachurch pastor in Florida confessed to an adulterous affair. Pastor of thousands, but they really didn't know what was going on in his private life. Listen from, learn from and listen to those that God has put in your life in the local church and in the fellowship that you're a part of. Here at Life Church, we're part of the Assemblies of God the largest spiritual denomination of the world. It's a wonderful, wonderful fellowship. We just had missionaries here a few weeks ago. We must learn to discern those who are false teachers. Paul goes on in verse 13, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. These are the men that the believers at Corinth were listening to. They were not true Apostles, they were false apostles. They were deceiving those who listened to them, even as they were masquerading or pretending to be true apostles of Christ. False teachers say all kinds of things that come from the Bible to deceive people. They don't go around quoting the Koran, they quote the Bible, things that sound good. And that's why we need to know God's Word in order to be able to discern what is true from what is false. We need to be able to discern what is balanced teaching, the teaching that's completely out of balance and far over, overemphasizing one aspect and not talking about another aspect of the truth at all. Unbalanced teaching will lead you into error just as surely as completely wrong teaching. And when you know God's word well, as every believer should, you'll be able to discern true from false teachers. You'll be able to distinguish true from false Revelation. Verse 14, Paul goes on and says, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. 
And so on, in the last days in which we're living, we must be alert to false revelation. This verse tells us that Satan pretends or masquerades as an angel of light. In other words, Satan can appear to someone as an angel of God and trick them into believing that what he's saying is coming from God himself through an angel. He can tell them something completely contrary to the word of God. There's one obvious Example, the cult of Mormonism was founded on the false revelation of a satanic angel called Moroni. And if you go down 40, there's a statue of him on the peak of the temple. Angel Moroni. Not an angel from God. Satan masquerading as an angel and fooling Joseph Smith. Christian bookstores these days, yes, Christian bookstores, are filled with books of, of encounters with angels, near-death experiences of heaven and hell, mysterious Bible codes. These are all supposed to tell us new information beyond what the Bible clearly teaches. And so be very, very careful to discern, as many, I would say most, of these accounts are not from God. Well, God can speak today through the Holy Spirit. He can speak through dreams. He can speak through visions. He can even speak through angels. True revelation from God these days gives us specific direction for our lives, for our church. He's not going to give us new general revelation about what heaven is like or what hell is like. Those, come, those kind of deceptions come from the evil one and those deceptions are going to increase in the last days. We need to expose those who pretend to be godly teachers. Verse 15. It's not surprising then if his servants, whose servants? Satan's servants. That's what he's calling the false apostles. If his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. And so Satan's uh, servants, false teachers, masquerade or pretend to be servants of God. They pretend to be something they're not so that they can deceive people who think they're following godly teachers. Many of these false teachers, I believe, have deceived themselves as well. And they truly believe that they are Christians. They truly believe that they are teaching the truth. And yet they're believing and promoting falsehood. And so in this entire passage, Paul is exposing these false teachers. He's exposing these super apostles that were leading the Corinthian believers astray. And he indicates here that God is going to judge those who are false teachers and preachers. And so in the last days in which we live, false teachers, God's Word tells us, will continue to increase. They'll bring teaching that will supposedly uncover new, mysterious spiritual knowledge. The other day, somebody came up to me and told me a quote from a well-known preacher. They said they never heard it put that way before. It was incredible. I must confess I didn't answer, but I thought, well, there's a reason you've never heard that before. It's not biblically correct. That's not in the Bible. And people are enamored with something new, looking for something new, and it was not biblically true at all. We have all the general revelation about God that we need in God's Word. We need the revelation of the Spirit to give us specific guidance for our lives in church. But don't be misled by this search for new, 
unknown knowledge of the spiritual realm. Don't be deceived by these books about mysterious Bible codes. It's all nonsense. Okay? Many of your friends and relatives are being led astray by false teaching or unbalanced teaching, either in churches they go to or by people they listen to. Let's use God's Word to show them the truth. Let's invite them to hear the truth of God's Word here at Life Church, asking God to help us better to discern true from false. Today we've been talking about detecting the deceiver. Who is the deceiver? The ultimate deceiver is Satan himself. He works in a myriad of ways through a myriad of demonic forces, false teachers to seek to deceive and lead people astray. And so we must be on guard against deception in every form. Don't listen to everything that's out there. It's going to confuse you. You don't need to listen to everybody and everything out there, either on the radio, television, or on the internet, or in books. Focus on learning and putting into practice what God is teaching you through His Word and through your local church, the church where He has planted you. Listen to those that you know and who love you. Expose those who pretend to be godly teachers but teach falsehood and those who live extravagant lifestyles. It's a sign that something wrong with them. The recent Supreme Court decision, as a result of that decision, we're going to see more and more pastors endorsing a homosexual lifestyle. And that's a mark of a false teacher because God's Word clearly teaches homosexual lifestyle is wrong. It's harmful to the person. It's harmful to society. People living a homosexual lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. It means they're not going to heaven. It's very simple. So we need to warn people. And there's going to be more and more of that. We put a statement on this the uh, recent Supreme Court decision, it's on our website, it's on our Facebook, and it has some comments that I've made, and then a link to your statement from the Assemblies of God. It's a very uh, good statement to help you understand a little better about the Supreme Court decision, and we'll be talking more about how we should react in a godly way uh, in order to lead people to the truth. And as we learn to detect the deceiver, uh, we're not going to be led astray. We're going to grow in our pure devotion to Jesus Christ. Today, if you're not sure that you're a believer, here's how to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it's important to remember, this is an easy way to remember it. Uh, the ABCs, if you've been here, we hear it every Sunday. I mean, it's, we don't want it to become rote. But if somebody asks you, you have to lead somebody to become a believer, you need to have something in your mind how to do it. And this is one way. There's many ways. But this is an easy way that even a child can lead someone else to becoming a believer. First of all, you need to admit. Admit what? Uh, you've sinned. You've broken God's law. You've done wrong things. Secondly, you need to believe. Believe in who? Believe in Jesus Christ. That He came to this earth lived a perfect life, died on the cross, took our sins upon Himself, and on the third day rose from the dead. You have to believe those things to be saved. Three, you need to commit your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to follow everything that He says. 
And so we're going to bow our heads right now. If you've never prayed a prayer like this, I'd encourage you to pray along with me. If you have in the past and you'd like to recommit your life this morning, pray with me as well. Say something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. The devil's deceived me and I have fallen right into what he wanted me to do. But I believe that Jesus Christ took my sins upon himself, paid the price, rose from the dead on the third day, and I ask him to forgive me. I commit my life to serving him as my Lord and Savior, basing my life upon the word of God. In Jesus' name. And for those who are believers, let's pray this. Father, we thank you for opening our eyes this morning to seeing the ways that Satan deceives and leads people astray. Help us to know your word better, to study your word, and listen to your spirit, that we might discern true from false teaching. May we concentrate on those that are teaching us in our own church and fellowship and not be distracted by all the voices out there. Help us to seek to put your word into practice in our life, to apply it to our lives and not just seek more and more knowledge, more and more new knowledge. Seek to find things, help us not to seek to find brand new things we've never heard before beyond your word. May we warn others about false teaching and bring them into the church here that they might hear the truth of your word. And God, we pray that in the days ahead, as sin is celebrated and glorified in our country, that you would give us the right words to say. Not just words of condemnation, not just words of putting people down, but words of hope, words of truth from your word about the beauty of marriage between one man and one woman. Raising up godly children in your ways. God, help us. Help our country, we pray. That we might come back to you. May all of us grow in our true devotion, our pure devotion to Jesus Christ. Help us to be used by you to bring many more into your family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.